0: Hello, and welcome back to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Movie Matt and TV Todd. We're back after an unintended delay. We had some technical difficulties, so we weren't able to record back last week. So, unintentional skip week, but we're back. Fantastic. So, this week, because a week ago we lost pop culture icon Mike Nesmith.
1: Absolutely
0: member of the monkeys he was the straight man in a in a band full of goofballs and he famously wore the hat yes he he passed away and since we really couldn't do the monkeys which we would love to do we decided to do time rider a movie that was produced co-written and scored by michael Nesmith.
1: yes and and wonderfully so this is a really fun movie um you know, I guess I never really thought about it. But yeah, I guess Mike would be the straight man of the monkeys. He's almost like their dad in a way. He, I mean, not literally, but like, I think he was the oldest, um, but he certainly acted like he was like he he, he acted like, yeah, he was the straight man. The, uh, yeah, I never really thought about it that way, but
0: I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, Mickey and Peter were total goofballs. And Davey was kind of the young um, starry eyed dreamer where Mike, yeah, Mike was the straight man, serious one. Yeah, yeah. I I guess held it all together.
1: I mean, we watched the show. I think we plan to cover it on this podcast at some point um, because I'm a I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the music as well. Um, But uh, that's a good point. I guess I never really thought about it that way. But you're right. Mike was certainly the more the subdued of the uh, four and uh, kind of played that role. Yeah.
0: So, Time Rider, also known as Time Rider: The Adventures of Lyle Swan.
1: Yes, and we all know who Lyle Swan is.
0: Who doesn't? I mean, come on. He was, he, he was on an adventure.
1: Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, he's always on adventures.
0: Well, Lyle because Swan. you know they, they they tried to sell the movie as Time Rider, and everybody was like, "What? Huh? No, we're not interested." And then they said, "But it's the adventure of Lyle Swan," and I was like, "Oh, it's like, well, yes. whoa, yeah, the dirt bike? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah." We need to book this. We're movie. in. Oh, hell yeah! So it's directed by William Deere, who had worked with. Uh, Michael Nesmith previously on Michael Nesmith's Elephant Parts, which is a sketch comedy home video release that did, you know, comedy sketches and music videos, because Michael Nesmith was a pioneer in the home video market.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, I guess via his family, the uh, liquid paper market.
0: Yes, they also had previously worked together. He scored uh, a previous movie William Deere had done called the Northfield Cemetery Massacre. I have never heard of this. These are two of the artists. Because if you look at William Deere's filmography, it's mostly family films. He did Harry and the Hendersons, uh, Angels on the Outfield, Santa Who. Much really? more of a family-friendly oriented directorial career by William Deere so this is kind of an outlier
1: um I also I'll I'll just say really quickly like I will uh, for anyone who doesn't really know like you know this is very guerrilla we're doing it in our respective apartments and mine has very loud pipes so if it sounds like I'm recording from inside the hull of a ship or from a very slow and pensive vampire opening his crypt that's what that clicking sound is just it, it, you know, it bothers me as much as it bothers you, but I can't do anything about it. Sorry. I, I
0: thought it was I thought it was beatniks in the background snapping along,
1: <laughs> it, it may as well be. I always like to think of it as a very hesitant, uh, very very slow vampire. I don't know why, just slowly creaking open its coffin. But anyway, sorry.
0: So let's get into Time Rider. Time Rider is uh, a sci-fi adventure film, and it was made by the creators William Deere and William Nesbitt. Nes- Mike William Deere and Michael Nesbeth to be a fun popcorn chewing experience.
1: Well, it sure as heck is.
0: Exactly. Yeah, no, now, it is. Lyle Swan is played by Fred Ward. He's a top motocross dirt bike athlete. What do you, well,
1: uh, yeah?
0: Motor?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a sport, so I guess he'd be an athlete. Now, uh, Fred Ward, you you will remember if you listened from the um. Remo Williams episode, same Fred, Ward, same Fred Ward, but two years. Remo
0: earlier. Williams, Tremors.
1: Three years? Three years earlier.
0: Cast the Deadly Spell. Did, um, didn't he play someone's... Favorites. Go ahead, I'm sorry. One of my favorites, Uncommon Valor.
1: Did, didn't did he play like a Deadbeat Dad in a relatively recent TV show? Or something?
0: And he It popped into my head. Not here. that I, that I saw.
1: Yeah, I can't remember what the heck it was Yeah.
0: But, it, but it's entirely possible.
1: I mean, he'll be well represented on this podcast because, spoiler alert, Tremors is forthcoming. Uh, and probably some other stuff that I don't realize he was in.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So the movie is as it, is a sci-fi adventure. It starts out uh, Lyle Swan, Fred Ward, is participating in the Baja 100. Yep. And, you know, Racing across the desert on his high tech dirt bike. And the first thing we know is that he's the best because as he drives along, yes. everybody who sees him is like, that's Lyle Swan. It's going to be Lyle Swan. Right. Boy, can he ride that dirt bike.
1: Right. It is very well established. He is a heck of a racer. <laughs> Although I guess not a terribly well-funded one which is kind of interesting so he must be up and coming ish uh cuz well, if he's as good as everybody seems to automatically know he is you'd think like sponsors would be throwing themselves at them and um I guess I guess I'm getting slightly ahead of myself because one of the guys in the very beginning kind of points that out as well
0: yeah, there's a guy that obviously wants to sponsor him, but obviously, you know, he's one of those like, no, I do it for the sport, man. I don't do it for the money.
1: Right, I'm doing it for myself. Yes, yeah, that's, that's true. I guess I just contradicted myself immediately. But go ahead.
0: And in one of these early, we, we get this uh, cameo by Mike Nesmith as one of yep. the officials. Yep. And you know, the first portion of the movie is really Lyle Swan dirt biking through the desert. Not yes. very exciting. <laughs> But as we mentioned, Mike Nesmith also scored this movie, and there's a really good soundtrack going
1: along with it. It really is, yeah. No, uh, this whole movie has an excellent soundtrack. Uh, as you mentioned before, scored entirely by him. But um, if your only familiarity with Mike Nesmith is the Monkees, this is not at all a Monkees like soundtrack. This is him, like, you know, experimenting with some music that, to me, evoked what, um, or at least in the very beginning, uh, with the guitar work in particular, it evokes what, um, Queen will kind of evoke later on during Flash Gordon. which Flash Gordon was 84, right? I mean, we covered the damn movie, and I already forgot when it came out.
0: Yeah, well, I already, I actually thought of it more as a goblin slash tangerine dream sound to it.
1: I definitely agree with some of the other parts, yeah. Like, he definitely goes all over the place, but if you are familiar with that, Night- I mean, none of this will really be a surprise. It? Very good music, obviously, but also a
0: I think you pulled the plug on your headset there. So while you fix that, I will carry on. As he's, you know, riding through the desert, he accidentally goes off course and ends up in the area of a top secret scientific testing called Time Rider. They're about to send a rhesus monkey back in time. And you see all these scientists in their little bunker in front of their computers talking about all their, their techno babble and he thinks as he's driving along he realizes he's lost, he's checking his map, and he sees the these these devices right. out in the in the desert that he thinks is the next checkpoint. So he right. drives up to that and as he's looking at it, he realizes no, this is the the checkpoint. So he's checking his map. Meanwhile, back in the, the the lab, they're going crazy because oh, somebody has wandered into the testing zone and is about to be sent back in time. Yep. They're not able to abort the, it fast enough. He's sent back in time, and without realizing he's gone back in time, because why would you? He right. drives away from the test. He drives away from the testing ground before they can bring him
1: back. Right. I mean, he basically, he's, I mean, he, yeah, he travels back in time. Now, um, interestingly enough, uh, the date is November 5th. Um, and, um, you know, for, for fans of several time travel movies, including Back of the, Back to the Future. And I think the other one was time after time, like November 5th is the day. Um, something I didn't realize until I lo- was looking up more about this movie, by the way, which I think is kind of a cool touch.
0: Yes, so unwittingly, he, if he had stayed there a few more seconds, everything would have been just fine. Yeah. But because he drove off, he ends up, well, he's in the Wild West now.
1: Right, because apparently like hundred was it, 107 years or something, uh, or, or yeah, 107 years ago, and this makes sense, right? The desert that he was in looks basically the same, so why would he notice the difference?
0: Yeah and and you know as he starts to encounter people unfortunately the first person he encounters in the middle of the night is an elderly man at a campfire who has a heart attack and dies on the mm-hmm. side of him because uh, we should point out he is dressed in this bright red riding suit with a full almost like a space astronaut helmet right so and, and, you know, when you approach in the dark on a dirt bike that has the roar of the devil, right. a blinding headlight that probably is like the lights out of hell and you're dressed head to toe in red, it's not surprising a, a person in 1875 thinks the devil has just ridden up on him and he drops dead of a heart attack.
1: Oh, totally. Especially, yeah, like if you're already prone um, to to perhaps having a heart attack and this kind of rolls up on you out of nowhere, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So he obviously feels terrible about this because he even goes around, goes through the, the 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 process of you know giving the guy a decent burial out there. He stays by the guy's fire and waits till morning because he doesn't know where he is. And we cut to the next day where we meet. Wonderful Peter Coyote, who is just mm-hmm. masterful in this. Oh, he's and amazing in this. His two of his outlaw toadies, they're outlaws. You got Peter Coyote as Porter Reese, yep. and the two great character actors Richard Bowser and Tracy Walter yep. as the Dorset brothers. Tracy Walter, you would probably, I think, his most famous role is probably in the Tim Burton Batman movie. He plays Bob the Goon, the right. Joker's right hand man. Right. Uh, he was in movies. Uh, he was also in in the second uh, Schwarzenegger Conan movie, uh, Conan the Destroyer. He plays he plays the thief in that. He was in. Oh right! I completely forgot about that. Cookie in City Slickers, and, and yeah. Dozens, I mean, probably hundreds of other scores. Oh. He's, he's in a ton of movies.
1: Oh, he's in a ton of movies. He's my he's my Wood Bissell Award winner. Um, Although it was tough to choose in this movie because some excellent character actors in it, including Richard Mazer. which, yeah. But anyway, yeah, you know, Tracy, yeah. No, he's, 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 he's my guy. Um, as soon as I it, saw him, I'm like, oh, hell yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm giving it to Richard Mazer. Richard Mazer sure. is my Whit, Whit Bissell. And these two, they're brothers, the Dorsey yep. brothers, and they are clearly inspired... By I would say two sets of characters from The Wild Brunch. The the Gorch brothers, Lyle and Tector Gorch, played by Ben Johnson and um, Warren Oates, and even more importantly, two of the bounty hunters that are on the trail of the Wild Bunch that were played by LQ Jones, who is also in this movie, and Struther Martin.
1: Oh, Struther Martin. I mean, that's, a yeah, (laughs) if there's anyone, like, we'll have to get to a Strother Martin movie eventually, and I know we will. But, um, I mean, there's my spoiler alert, perpetual Whitpistler award, whatever, pretty much anything he's in.
0: He's he's one of the great character actors as well. Yeah. So they're riding along with the fourth person. They've just pulled a silk heist, apparently. Yeah. Which makes sense. They, they yeah. have a falling out with, with one of the guys who decides that, you know, he doesn't want to follow uh, Peter Coyote anymore. So Peter Coyote shoots him. Right. And they ride off. And the Dorset brothers, who have no problem stealing everything off of their former compatriots' body, also want to bury him. But Peter Coyote, as Porter Reese, is like, no, we don't have time for that. We need to get back to our hideout. We're, you know... We're out running marshals here.
1: Yeah, the, the Dorset brothers are interesting because they're definitely criminals, but they will frequently show a sort of like honor, um, their own sort of morality, like throughout the movie and question Reese about it. Who is, you know, Ree- and Reese is as, like as underhanded as it gets. Like nothing is, yes. nothing is, everything is fair game to him. Every every play, everything.
0: Yes, he has almost, he, he has no honor.
1: Right, he's but completely he's, devoid of it.
0: He's intelligent where the Dorset brothers are kind of dim.
1: They're almost naive. Yeah. I mean, they're criminally naive, if that's, a thing, you know, like, again, they're criminals, but they're, they're they're almost naive in a sense. Although not not I mean, but not like I don't know. I mean, naive, I guess, isn't the way to work. But they, they're like it's it's a it's a principality. They, they have like this 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 principle, you know, na- again, almost morality that you just you kind of it's they are the romanticized version of um the criminal, I guess, right? The ones that we like to believe, you know, rob from the rich and give to the poor and they wouldn't kill women and children and that sort of thing. Like they, they seem to more or less like fit that role, whereas Puerto Reese is just like straight up evil. Yeah,
0: I think you're giving them a little too much
1: credit, but OK. I, sub- I mean, no, I mean, you're not wrong, because at the end of the day, they go along with whatever Reese does. But I I guess what I'm saying is, is they're a little bit closer to that. Or at least they believe in those sort of things, whether they actually act about or not, because it's not like they ever stop Reese. They just kind of question them as much as they're willing to, because you'll probably kill them.
0: So actually, while Reese and the Dorset brothers are arguing. Lyle Swan overhears what's going on and he goes to ask them for directions. Well, they see this guy in. Like I said, head to toe and, and a space helmet. And they immediately think it's the ghost of the guy they didn't bury. And they open fire <laughs> on him, which which sends Lyle Swan running for the hills. He jumps on his bike and drives off. And while the Dorset brothers are absolutely terrified by this devil horse that he rode off on. Fire Hora horse. Reese, Immediately recognizes that no, that's just that was just a regular man, and he's riding some sort of machine. I don't know what it was, but it was just a machine, and he becomes obsessed with wanting that machine. Mm-hmm. He wants that motor. He wants that dirt bike. That's what his quest is going to be. Now, While it's, this is, go ahead.
1: I'm sorry. Like to me, it's there's an interesting like duality in that like most of his gang. And I might be along with them, to be honest with you, at least, you know, if given the same situation, would be like, all right, I don't know if I would have believed, okay, that's the ghost, but it would be hard to not think this completely ridiculous thing happened. And it's not at all related to the guy you just killed, right? And how you're acting about it. But Reese just like doesn't see any of that. He's just like, oh, I want that, which is just kind of, it's, it's, I don't know, that, that, that really interested me. That really stuck with me.
0: So meanwhile, the character of Claire Signy played by Belinda Bauer has observed this from a hiding point and she goes running back to her little base of operations, this little nowhere town where she and the, another fantastic one of the top 10 character actors of all time Ed Lauder, Yep. Who is a, he's either really a priest and he's a crooked priest or he's a crooked guy pretending to be a priest. I think it's the former.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm under the impression. Yeah, yeah, I, that was the same vibe I got, yeah.
0: So they but you're right, it's hard. To... This, they have control of, he, of the well in this little town and they're selling the water to the, the um, local townsfolks and it's obviously an outlaw town itself this little middle of nowhere place. And, you know, like we're introduced by him, by these, these two uh, Mexican villagers who are like, well, we don't have money to pay for the water, but we have this rifle and this bread. And, Ed the as, as Padre Quinn says, well, you don't get anything without sacrifice. And he checks out the rifle and he gives them the water and tells them they can keep the bread. And so, yeah, he and Belinda Bower's character are running this little scam sort of where they either get money for the water or they take goods in trade, which they then sell. And she comes running up to Padre Quinn saying like, you know, I just saw this most miraculous thing. There was this man riding this machine like it was a horse and he was traveling faster and farther than any horse could ever go. And Porter Reese and the Dorset brothers were after him. And you can tell, and it's established a little bit more later on that there's an uneasy alliance between Padre Quinn, Claire, and Porter and the Dorset brothers, you know, we stay out of your business. You stay out of our business, and nobody bothers each other. Type, of
1: which is which is kind of surprising given Reese's ten, uh, temperament, but he must have some reason.
0: There may just be a mutual respect of of some sort. You know, yeah. let's not let's not get in each other. Let's not waste bullets on each other. Let's both do our thing, and we'll be fine. Sure. So. Lyle Swan now comes riding into the town, being chased by uh, Porter and the Dorset brothers, and this sets off a spark of terror through the town because, as far as they are concerned, the devil has just rode in. And Lyle Swan's all confused. He's like, "What is wrong with any everybody? Can't anybody just tell me where I am? How I get out of here? Why are these people shooting at me? What's right. going on?" <laughs> The Dorset brothers come riding into town shooting. He rides off, and Belinda Barrow signals to him, you know, ride your 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 motorcycle into this basement, and I'll I'll cover for you. Shots are exchanged. She ends up shooting off the nose of one of the Dorset brothers, played by um, Tracy, Tracy Walker, yeah. which puts the the Dorset Brothers, she puts her on the Dorset Brothers' top of their enemy list, (laughs) and she goes in hiding with with Lyle Swan in the basement while Padre Quinn settles everything down. He fires off a couple of shots and says, look, you know, you you need to move on, you need to get out of here, I don't know what you're talking about, guy on a machine, whatever, you know, get on your horses and ride out, which Porter and, um, um, Peter Coyote and Richard Mauser reluctantly do because Mauser is just as angry about his brother having his nose shot off as well. Probably not quite as angry as Tracy Walter is,
1: <laughs> right? Car- Carl, I think.
0: They if I remember, yeah, they reluctantly ride out of the town. Well, um, let's say Lyle Swan and Claire Signy get to know each other.
1: Sure, yeah, that's one way to put it.
0: She is enamored with Lyle Swan to the point where she tells him to take his clothes off at gunpoint. Right. And he's all like, but you're not... You're... At the end of the day, I don't think we can call it right because I think he willingly had sex with her, but I don't think it was his intent at the beginning.
1: I mean... I, he didn't have too much of a choice. He was at gunpoint, but yeah. Um, I mean, based on how they behave later, like, yeah, he didn't seem to well, be terribly put off by it, more surprised than anything else.
0: No, because they show them later on, and they're in bed together and she's, they're having a discussion and he's like, the right. question is like, because at no point, he's still, I mean, and why would he figure out he's gone back in time? As far as he's concerned, he's just wandered off into some backwoods hit town where, you know, everybody's still living, you know, literally the steps. Right. And he asks her about herself and what's she doing here. And, you know, she tells him that, you know, she was pretty much on her own after the Civil War. She tried to make a go of things in New Orleans, but things weren't working out. So she came out west and hooked up with the Padre and together they run this little business of trading water for goods. And at first he's like, "Civil War? What are you? What are you saying to me?" And she <laughs> asks about. He's like, "Well, I'm from Los Angeles," and she repeats, "Los uh, Los Angeles." And he goes, "Yeah," um, and, and I'm here participating in the Baja 100 and blah blah blah. And then she sees this pendant he's wearing, and he's like, well, "What's that?" He goes, "Oh." um, I got this, this is a family heirloom. It's been passed down from my great-great-grandmother down to me. My great-great-grandmother, you know, she got it from my great-great-grandfather. She took it from him as a representative of this wonderful night they had together. And then he disappeared and she went to Los Angeles to search for him. She started a family business and became the great matriarch of the Swan family.
1: Now, people who speak, I'm not sure what language I'm not sure what language her last name is. But if you know it, then, you know, you already know where this is going. And fans of The Terminator probably know where this is. going.
0: Yes, uh, it's it's Latin. (laughs)
1: It's Latin, right? It felt like it was probably Latin.
0: So, well, it's actually a derivative of Cygnus, which is Latin for a type of bird. Sure. Yeah. So as this happens, you know, Quinn comes down and is like, okay, so what's going on? We need to figure this out. And two marshals ride into town as one. Well, One of them played by LQ Jones, who has been in more westerns than I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, many Sam Peckinpah movies and another sure. great character actor. Yes. The first movie I can think of off the top of my head. Actually, I already mentioned he was in Wild Bunch, but he was also in Lone Wolf McQuade as Chuck Norris's uh, Texas Ranger mentor. Right. So they're riding into town because. Well, what about Alex, his partner?
1: Yet another veteran character actor. That's why I'm saying. That's why I was saying before. Like this was a tough one, but I had to go with Tracy uh, Walker. What? Um, oh, I forgot his name now. Um, but um the marshall's partner. oh, he's been in a ton too. I recognize him immediately and I've completely already forgot, uh, yeah, I'll have to I'll look at up. <laughs> Go ahead. So
0: LQ Jones is not only is not just looking for Puerto Rico to put him behind bars. he's looking for Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico killed his son. So when Lyle hears that there's marshals in town, he goes out there looking for them because finally, law enforcement, they can help me out. They can, you know, get me out of here. While this is going on, Peter Coyote and the Dorset brothers sneak back into town. They kidnap Claire and they steal the motorcycle. So Padre Crenn Lyle Swan team up with the Marshalls to go after the uh, Coyote and the Dorset brothers, or I should say Porter and the Dorset brothers, to rescue Claire and get his motorcycle back. Yes. Now, the problem here is Porter's outlaw hangout has... More than just the Dorset brothers, there's a good twenty to thirty other rough and tumble outlaws in this canyon. Easily, yeah, he's both Porter Reese and the 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 motorcycle. Yeah,
1: he's got a small army.
0: So, Padre Quinn, Wild Swan, and the Marshal saddle up, and while they're working their way towards us, we get this fantastic scene because now. Now, Porter Reese has his machine, and he's sitting astride it. And he is as pleased as punch, the cat that swallowed the canary. He's got it, and he turns to the Richard Mouse and is like, w- w- "What do I do?" And Richard Mouse is like, "Well, uh, first he had his hands on each of these things here. I saw that. I saw it. And he puts his hands on the thing, and then he uh, he jumped up and down on it." Yeah, yeah, and he kicked it. There. And he's doing it and everybody's watching it. He's starting to get the motorcycle to turn over and he gets it running and he rides it screaming for about 10 feet before he wipes out and everybody pulls their guns and starts shooting at the motorcycle while Porter Reese <laughs> is like, Stop it! Stop it, you dang fool! Stop it! Stop it! Stop <laughs> it! <laughs> And while he's embarrassed, Richard Bowser's music really like, "No, you did good. You got it going, and you rode it a good while. And you know, you know that it, it's kind of shot up, but then oh, there's an arrow in it. <laughs> <He's just laughs> yeah. Yell it out! And my one time riding a dirt bike was this pretty much the same experience as Peter Coyote.
1: And and. One of um, one of Reese's I uh, don't know affect mannerisms anyway is that he does like a very vulgar uh, Yosemite Sam like he's always he's he's kind of pulling one of those especially against his men and it's kind of amusing and also terrifying.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's it's a great little because this is a it's not a comedy movie but there's there's plenty of comedic bits. Like said, oh yeah, they they wanted to make a fun movie and this this movie is super fun
1: absolutely and and yeah peter coyote is no exception like he's he's evil and um but you know he's he's ridiculous at the same time
0: yes but- yes and um, and by this point the heroes have arrived just outside the outlaw camp you know lyle swan's you know sitting there with a glow stick and eating a protein bar that he's unwrapped and You know they're looking at him like, "What's this strange wizardry?" And as we said, you know, no point does he even think like, "You know, I've gone back in time." No, he's just matter-of-factly like, "Yeah, these are all the just little gizmos and doodads people make up for me back home."
1: Right. Like I, I imagine at this point, at most, he's thinking like he's living in some really deep backwoods place.
0: Yes. So. First, LQ Jones inquis- insists on going into the outlaw camp alone to face Porter Reese, which is a mistake because Porter Reese don't play fair, and he ends up murdering LQ Jones, shooting him in the back.
1: Right. This is this is another scene where um, the Dorset brothers, um, Richard Mason in particular, is like, "Hey, he called you out," um, and uh, <laughs> Reese evilly but correctly is like yeah but i'm not stupid <laughs> you know and um uh, again you know, just another scene where 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 they're you know the the two brothers are like calling out his morality seeing that he has absolutely none but still again going along with it so it, it's i almost wonder what like their end game and all of that was like it always you know they almost play it off like they're ready to leave the gang at any moment or is it just their way of like feeling superior over him for a moment
0: well i think there's two things like we said Porter is an intelligent man, so I don't think they oh, no, think no, yeah. their way out of a paper bag, so they follow him for that reason, and two, we know what happens to people who decide they want out of the gang, they get out of the gang by receiving bullets as their severance pay.
1: Fair enough, yes, yeah that's, yeah, that's true, he did literally kill someone for that exact reason.
0: So while that was happening, uh, Lyle Swan is snuck into the camp. He's rescued Claire, got his motorcycle, and they go riding out. And now we we have a running gun battle chase scene as Porter Reese and his band of outlaws chase after our heroes. The other the other marshal is killed during the escape. And now, I mean, as obviously was going to happen, Lyle's also like, Yes. Yeah. But he's trying to he he he's got a signal on his radio he, he's got a he's got a CB walkie on his, on his radio and he's got a signal and he's trying to get through and you know obviously Padre Quinn and Belinda Bauer Claire are telling him to leave the motorcycle behind we need to go and they start going up this hill as they're being fired away and Padre Quinn and Belinda Bauer are gunfighters. They are straight up gunslingers. They don't miss, you know. So they're actually just the two of them are really helping to whittle down the Puerto Reese gang
1: Right, which which tells you more. Um, well, actually, we already know. We already know her backstory because she literally said it. But at least as far as the Padres go, there's definitely more than we got
0: Yes, these two. They they know they know how to handle a gun. But I guess if you're going to live there, you have to.
1: This is fair. Especially if you, yeah, if you're living near the Reese and the uh, and the Dorset brothers, I suppose it makes sense. And the, and their army, uh, yeah.
0: So they make the, their way to the top of this desert butte, being chased all the while, and um, Lyle's able to get in communication with somebody on the radio, but now they're cornered at the top of this butte as the gang comes gunning up for them. Well, just as things are looking like they're, they're now surrounded and about to get gunned down, a helicopter appears, yes. which would first of all, if I wasn't ready for a helicopter to appear and it came up over a hill that's going to terrify me.
1: Right, in, and in 2021 where helicopters you know exist and you've seen them before, that would terrify me too.
0: If you have no helicopter, you're going to do what most of Puerto Rican game does and turn tail and run like hell.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm 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 somewhat surprised they didn't just like open fire on it which was really the well, only other option some but them, I get it.
0: Some of them did shoot at it but they True, were yeah. so scared by it they took yeah. off running.
1: Yeah, no. Like if I, if I yeah, exactly. If I'm just on a hill and suddenly like sudden helicopter like, you know. Yeah. I, I yeah.
0: Now, clearly Padre Quinn and Belinda uh I keep calling it, it's Belinda Bowers the actress Claire is the character. have come to understand that there's nothing normal about this Lyle Swan guy. So while they're surprised by the helicopter, they kind of understand it's just another thing about this man that they don't get. And again, Peter Coyote, as Porter Reese, understands that it's just some flying machine. It's completely beyond me, but it's just a flying machine with people in it. And he shoots at it and he kills the pilot. Or I, it, the co-pilot, because there's a co-pilot yeah. in there.
1: And it's, it's. I mean, there's so many factors that go into how amazing that shot actually is. But, you know, it, it it's effective.
0: Well, it's <laughs> Nonetheless, effective because it. the, they temporarily lose control of the, the, the helicopter, and that rotor blade swings around, and you see the terrified look in Puerto Reese's eyes. Horrible sound effect, and it comes back, and you just see all that's left of Puerto Rico are these shredded pair of boots.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, straight up Raiders style, although a bit more uh, dramatic.
0: A bad end for a bad man. So Lyle Swan's happy for the rescue. He jumps in the helicopter and he's trying to get Claire and well, mostly Claire, but I think Padre Quinn and as well. And the people are trying to, like, we'll explain later, but nobody else can go. And we have to leave right now. Our time is limited. Because they knew he had gone back in time. they kind of, in fact, the scientist that goes to the head scientist and says, we've kind of pinpointed he's gone back to 1875. That was William Deere's cameo. Director William Deere played that scientist
1: oh right on yeah i forgot i guess i either i probably looked that up and uh, have already forgot it like I, I certainly remember well recognized anyway mike nesmith as the uh, official but and i didn't they, realize director cameo cool
0: there were other scenes at the beginning that indicated that the scientists had investigated into lyle swan and who he was so that they could go back in time and find him right so that like, you can't go. Nobody else can go. We'll explain later. And as they're about to pull away, Claire reaches up and pull from Lyle Swan and they fly off. And that's when they repeat the story of, oh, this pendant it came from my great great grandmother. She took it as a memento from my great grandfather from a wonderful night they spent together. She went to Los Angeles to find him and became the great so we learn Lyle Swan is his own great great grandfather.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A fascinating family tree there.
0: Which is but here's the here's the thing that, that can kinda send anybody into into insanity if they think about it. Where did Lyle Swan get the pendant from? His great great grandmother. Where did she get it from? She got it from him. But right. Where did he get it from? From her. <laughs> Right, where did this object first appear in the, the time loop? I mean, I have a better question. I have a better wrap my head around the fact that he's own his own great grandfather, but where this pendant originated from is just kind of blowing my mind. But you're not supposed to think about that. It was just a little. I, and and Michael Nesmith has said it was it was really just to be a joke. It really, okay, yeah. The, it was it was something that came along just at the very end of the script writing as a little punchline to the fun movie, right? So, and that's where the movie the the movie just cuts right to the end there. Yeah. And this is I just I adore this movie. This is just such a fun, fun movie. Yeah, um... and it really irritates me that it is not readily available. Yeah, you... Shout Factory put out an excellent Blu-ray that has an excellent director's commentary by William Deere and then an interview special feature with William Deere and Michael Nesmith. It's oh, wow. great, but I don't know why it was such... I mean, I guess the movie's just not popular enough for them to justify keeping it in print, but it is out of print and people try to sell it for ridiculous amounts of money.
1: Yeah, like I I have a theory. I have a theory at least on why it's not popular enough to keep in print. And it's mostly the year 1982 in film. Um, Because that's when you had uh, just, uh, um, if I can go through them real quick, and this is just picking some of them. Any Blade Runner fast times at Ridgemont High, uh, the thing which doesn't really count, but retroactively so. Um, Which just like, here's another movie, like it was kind of panned at the time, but people remember this far better than they were going to remember Um, Time Rider existed, let alone remember watching it. Uh, E.T., First Blood, Poltergeist, Conan the Barbarian, Sophie's Choice, Star Trek 2, 48 Hours, (laughs) Gandhi, Tootsie, um, hell, even Beastmaster, (laughs) Tron um rocky three grease two dark crystal halloween three pink floyd's the wall secret of nim um you know i i think it just kind of got buried um it's it's a creep show uh you know i just think it got buried honestly because you're right this is a fun movie now it does start not necessarily slow unless you're not all that interested in dirt bike racing because you know the first Oh, ten minutes or so, at least, is that? Um, but once it gets going, it, it's it's a pretty fun western and, and a really fun movie.
0: It, it's a great western movie. There's plenty of action and 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 shootouts, and you know, like you said, the grim ending for uh, Peter Coyote. And here's one of the things: to, there's uh, another out of print DVD out there by Anchor Bay of this movie that has an alternate end. For Well, actually, it doesn't end uh, for for Porter Reese. After the helicopter blade swings towards them, it cuts to showing him cowering behind a rock. You know, so.
1: Yeah, which I I guess I wonder if that was because they felt um, it would resonate more with children somehow. Yeah. like maybe they wanted to make it more child friendly that's the only maybe reason i can think
0: of i'm thinking possibly a tv or you know airplane cut they might have been worried about but
1: yeah, oh maybe i mean
0: it, it essentially it doesn't really change the movie all that much but i mean that's one of the biggest things i remember from seeing this movie as a kid on hbo again with that yeah that first it would be like yeah it doesn't show anything but then you just get that Disgusting, disturbing noise, and then the shredded boots, and your mind is able to make it way worse than they could have if they had put it on screen. Uh,
1: and I mean, I mean, Matt also uh, Megaforce Q and Amityville Two came out that year. So,
0: well, I think you know, E.T. wiped out almost everything that year. You know? It would seem, yeah. Um, but this, I mean, it's just it's it's an incredibly fun movie, but it's also it's it's very minimalist.
1: Yeah, I mean, no, not it's not super the overproduced. Sets.
0: Their their biggest, um, I would say, their biggest expense was probably the dirt bike, and maybe renting the helicopter. So.
1: I was going to say know, maybe the horses, but maybe not in the eighties. I think that's more yeah, expensive.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all it's mostly set in the desert. and even the effect of the time travel isn't all that elaborate it's really just kind of a, a blue halo that's given over the whole area
1: i i feel like if video were more like i i think if this movie came out a little bit later um it would have probably done better i mean obviously uh, you know i went over the fact that 1982 in film was a pretty landmark year uh, in recent memory for film or at least you know for as long as we've been alive um but, oh, so realistically, yeah, like I, I I think this would have had a better home on video. I think it just came out a bit too early for that because i I can't. I can't find real fault with this movie for not being more popular than it was, except for the fact that it came out in 1982 and too far before home video became a real thing. And since no one remembers it, since no one watched it, and hopefully we can push the audience up a little bit more, I I can understand why you wouldn't bother to keep that in print if no one's buying it. I imagine, like, I forgot about this movie, Matt, until you brought it up. I completely forgot about it. Um, I would equate this movie to uh, how I feel about um, Runaway. Um. Uh,
0: yeah yes, you know there is an equivalent there, there that, this, that's... This, they were HBO staples but nobody seems to be really mentioning them much outside of that you know when they're originally on
1: yeah yeah and much like uh, you know much like you felt about Runaway it's like yeah this, this is a hell of a movie I, I, I can't I can't otherwise explain why it didn't do better except for just bad timing
0: well, and again, it, it would by by the this point and with with Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark, movies had just become so so much bigger and and more bombastic. Those were the movies people remember the big, huge, elaborate set pieces with yeah. the big, huge casts and and these big sweeping epics. And this is a smaller movie, but. Nobody it's again, it's one of those, why does this movie work so well? Because nobody treated it like it was a small, small movie. Right. William Deere directs the heck out of it. Everybody gave a full performance. You know, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's infused with mostly character actors. You know, you got, you got Fred Ward who is oddly the, I mean, I think you mentioned uh, he's the last person titled and you're right. If they do it by alphabetical order, you know, cause it goes Belinda Bauer, Peter Coyote, the rest of the cast. And then, you know, Fred Ward as Lyle Swan, but he is the star of the movie. You would expect, you would expect he would be the top, you know, top yeah. filled person, but LQ Jones is a small role, but he acts the hell out of it. He is just an intense, intense character. Ed Lauder, who is one of my absolute favorite character actors of all time, acts, does does a great performance. Peter Coyote kills it. Kills it. Yeah, he's great. you got to put his character, Peter Coyote as Kyle Reese is up there with in my opinion Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber and for the guy who just relished his role as an out as the bad guy
1: or how about Alan Rickman as a sheriff of Nottingham
0: even yes even that you know great heroes need great villains and they provided them expertly and as we said the Dorset brothers were each our Whit Bissell award winners
1: oh yeah yeah um, Chris Mulkey, by the way, is the, um, uh, was L. Key Jones's partner.
0: Yes, he is the other marshal. And, and,
1: and he's got an extremely long, long long IMDB history and you'll recognize him from you know multitudes of things I, I, um, but uh, I, I recognize him immediately.
0: But I mean because it, it is a, basically it's a small cast as well. Yep. Oh yeah, so yeah yeah. We should, we should point out that uh, this was the film debut of Miguel Sandoval who plays Emil, one of the, the Mexican villagers who puts on the, tries to ride the motorcycle and puts on the helmet, much to his dismay. And you'll recognize Miguel. He doesn't look a thing like he does more famously, but, you know, Miguel Sandoval is, you know, another great character actor who was in the Medium TV series. He was a regular in that. But I will always think of him as Marcelino and Seinfeld, who ran the bodega that Jerry bounced to check at and tried to fix the cockfight that Kramer's rooster was in.
1: A little Jerry, yeah. Oh, little wow. Little...
0: Yeah, that's him.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. oh, oh that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I did not recognize him. That's that's awesome.
0: No, he doesn't look a thing. I, and even no. when I know it's him, I look at him and I'm like, yeah, I I don't. If I didn't know it was him, I wouldn't know it was him.
1: Right. Yeah, that's a tough one.
0: Yeah. Of the whole cast, Belinda Bauer doesn't have doesn't seem to have a big filmography. And I look through and I don't think I've seen anything else she's ever done. But apparently, she was an Australian actress. So. I don't know if most of her films are Australian, but, uh, she, she hit her accent. Well here, I didn't pick up on any accent really.
1: No, no, I didn't. I me either. No. Um, I mean, she was a new which is a really fun movie the wait out movie. I'm just looking at, um, I'm looking up her credits now. She was in, she was in UHF. Um, uh, she was also in RoboCop, too. Um, yeah, she played one of the mud wrestlers in UHF. That's a movie maybe we should do. I like that movie.
0: But, yeah, I mean, it's a small cast where everybody gave it their all. And what's great about her, too, is that while well, she does end up being the kidnapped person that they have to rescue, much like Princess Leia, she's not a damsel in distress, She's just as much as of a fighter, like Princess Leia. You give Princess Leia uh, yeah. a, a blaster, she's taking out more Stormtroopers than Luke Skywalker is. Oh,
1: right on. No, yeah, she, totally. No, I think I think Princess Leia is probably a good, uh, probably a good comp. You Straight know, up war.
0: She sees what she wants. She takes it. She sees what she wants dead. She shoots and kills it. Yeah. So it's almost a little, because, I mean... Uh-uh not to, to the Monday Motor Quarterback, this movie, they, they didn't really need to, they could have just had them steal the motorcycle. Although I doubt Padre Quinn would have gone along for the ride if it was just the motorcycle they were trying to get back. I right. think I think having her kidnapped helped involve him in the rescue. Whereas, you know, Lyle Swan was going after him regardless because he wanted his motorcycle back. And L.Q. Jones wanted revenge for his son.
1: The motorcycle, which was ultimately left in 1877. So, you know, sequel people.
0: Well, it was completely destroyed because the helicopter got off the cliff where it's smashed to pieces. And it seems like it was also out in the middle of nowhere enough that nobody was going to go looking for it, even if, you know. Fair enough. Obviously, because the only other people that would know it was there would be Padre Quinn and... Claire, and they obviously weren't interested in it either. Fair enough. But uh, William Deere did say he would have liked to have done a sequel at some point.
1: I was going to ask you, like, are you aware of whether or not they had ever ever envisioned this as a franchise? I mean, I suppose everyone does at the end of the day, right? But uh, do you feel like, or well, do you know if this was just their, this they were just going to do this movie and that's it, and if it became more than great, or had they planned on multitudes of adventures of
0: miles no I, I don't think they did because i don't think anybody really did at that point in the i mean now everything is planned to be a franchise but uh, at that point they were just the the from from what uh, the interviews with mike nesmith and and william Dear have said it was really just two guys the two of them having fun writing a screenplay and creating this fun adventure.
1: Um, how many issues of the comic book did Marvel publish for this?
0: Uh, unfortunately, none.
1: Somehow, Marvel didn't have a they, what? I just assumed they had a comic license for this.
0: Nope, no. Nope. Huh.
1: That's that's thoroughly surprising. Not even like an an adapted graphic novel like one shot. No.
0: No, that that is kind of interesting. You, you, they might have gone after that, but you know, you, when you think about it, too, is. Where would the story go from there? You know, would, would for some reason they decide, well, oh, you obviously made a good time traveler this time around, you know, maybe that the scientists send them to other places. But well, well, they know, did like it was all an accident. You know, they, I, I don't
1: know. They, well, they did comic rather um, adaptations for other stuff like they did Star Wars. Right. Um, I just figured, you know, um, half jokingly, like I knew they didn't, but I just figured, half jokingly, Marvel would have somehow had a um, time writer, you know, like did they ever envision toys and stuff?
0: No, because again, you think about it. Even in 1982, I mean, this came out in 1982, and while you right, so this would be the height of like
1: GI Joe or the resurgence, rather thereof. Well,
0: no, and, no, it just, wouldn't have been the height of GI Joe. GI Joe, Real American Joe, would only have been coming out in '82. Right. Well, okay. I see what you're saying, but the poppers would have been a, a big hit. I, people really weren't going after movies for toy licensing, white like they they would. Be. And again, this wasn't a I big can't... Hollywood studio is. production either. This was a, a, a basically an independent film financed almost entirely by Michael Nesmith.
1: Fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. Fair enough. It just seemed like for a time, like everything was trying to at least have some semblance of toy. I run.
0: think, like you said, if it had come out a few years later, there probably would have tried to have been a toy tie-in, at least with a, you know, a, a Lyle Swan dirt bike action figure pack, at the very least. But
1: Yeah, you know, you, you make a really good point. Like, at the end of the day, given the story that they told us, where would it go from there? If they would have you know, if it were to be a comic book or a TV series or even a franchise, yeah, where the heck would it go from there? You I mean good point. It's kind of like that's the story. Those were his adventures.
0: <laughs> Nowadays they would have they would have come up with the excuse that, oh, we have to go back and you know, somebody found the pieces of the bike and they invented <laughs> an engine earlier than it was supposed to, so we gotta go back and fix that. There's- Something mid credits, yeah. Somebody would have found a way to make a sequel if they had wanted to, but again, at this point, no. Just people, you know. They and that's what he even said. They just wanted to make a fun movie.
1: When when we when we finally you know pull our weight with the um, TV movie rewind podcast empire, um, we I think we can turn this into at least an eight episode like updated miniseries, man.
0: hour long each. One of the things is when he sees the movie again, he sees things he probably would have liked to do differently. So he's on board. Okay, right on. I don't know if we can afford him.
1: Nah, I mean, we just needed like several millions of dollars more than we have.
0: I'll check the couch cushions.
1: Fair enough. You've had that couch for a while.
0: So... Obviously, again, like uh, this movie was kind of—I I don't know if you can't—you can't help but draw the parallel to Back to the Future Three, right? Which is again, you know, a back in time Western adventure movie,
1: right? And then, what six years later, Eight, ten, uh, eight years later, something eight like years,
0: that. About eight years yeah. later, yeah. This is yeah. a few years before the first Back to the Future. So you know obviously that's a movie like if you like back to the future three because odds are people have seen back to the future three it's incredibly sure movie. yeah so if you enjoyed that i think this is a movie you should you know instead of me giving you recommendations if you enjoyed time Rider, check out back to the future three i'm saying if you enjoyed back to the future three see if you can check out time Rider. hell yeah as far as movies I would recommend in this, I, I would think, you know, again, there's, there's not story or plot parallels, but it's got that same kind of spirit as, say, like, Crow. Yeah. You know, a smaller movie that, you know, really went out there. Um,
1: it's the better, it's like, if you see one, you know, motorcycle-ish uh, if, you, if you see one you know, dirt bike movie of the 80s, it should be this one and probably not Wraith, although Wraith is kind of fun. But it's, uh, to me, this draws parallels to Wraith, um, even though that was technically a car, but there was a dirt bike in it. But the villains kind of take over. Uh, not that, I mean, Fred Ward's great in this, don't get me wrong, but the villains kind of take over because all three of them are just absolutely fantastic and just a joy to watch in basically every scene that they're in. Uh, mm-hmm. Dripping with evil, though, that they are, but they, they just kind of take it over sort of like the ring
0: And And of course, Remo Williams, which while we weren't yep. all that thrilled with that, I revisit. It's been one in of retrospect- our most popular episodes yeah. Shimo so, um, Williams yeah. has a great fan base out there and, and congratulations because even though we didn't like it, it certainly deserves to be loved. Sure. There, there there is definitely aspects of that movie, and Fred Ward is is equally great in both of them. You know, almost playing playing a same style of befuddled, like what is going on? What did I get myself into? Reluctant hero. Williams, you, you, you owe it to yourself to check out Time Right. It's just a,
1: it's just a, yeah, it's a, it's a good, like you said before, it's a great popcorn movie, man. It's a good Saturday morning, it's, Saturday yeah. afternoon, you know,
0: it's just a lot of fun. You're not going to be, I mean, like you, it does start out a little like, okay, yeah, he's dirt biking through the desert, but the music it's fast paced and it's well shot. Right. You know, there's some great cinematography to it as well. So once he gets into it, you know, it's 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 like I said, it, the movie flies by. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, the movie feels shorter than it is. This like, a compliment, you know,
1: the, the, the first like, again, the, the first 10 minutes or so, we keep going back to that, you know, where he's driving around on the dirt bike. It's not like it's poorly done or anything. It's just it gives you the sense that like, oh, I've seen enough mystery science theater to know where this is going to go. Like, it's going to be a lot of this, yeah, isn't it? And it's yes. not. It's not. At all. like it, Once it gets going, it, and it doesn't take that long to get going at all. Uh, once it gets going, it's it's a very brisk, very fun pace. And, and, yeah, it's almost over before you know it.
0: And it makes you realize, like, you know, we may not have known who what Lyle Swan is, but everybody out there knows who <laughs> Lyle Swan is.
1: Right. Right. I feel like most of his adventures, although pr- arguably less interesting ones, um, already happened before this movie started.
0: Time writer. The adventure of Lyle Swan. <laughs> Chair Sitter, the Saturday afternoon of Matt Soros. <laughs> right. Nobody's going to see that. No. Um, you got anything else to say about the movie?
1: No, I mean, I guess um, I have some guesses, but I'll be interested um, to see how you uh, tie this to Magnificent Seven.
0: Well, you know, I, I, the, my first thought, for some reason, was go through L.Q. Jones because he's done right. a bunch of westerns, but. Then it occurred to me, um, Ed Lauder has several connections to The Magnificent Seven. One, he was in several movies with Charles Bronson, Death Hunt, Heartbreak Pass, Death Wish 3. So right there, he's connected to Charles Bronson. But it doesn't end there. Ed Lauder was a member of The Magnificent Seven. He was in the fourth Magnificent Seven movie, The Magnificent Seven Ride, as one of the members of the Seven. No kidding. Not only that, he appeared in the Magnificent Seven TV series. Same character? No. He plays the father in law of Michael Bean's character. Um, in, in the Magnificent Seven TV series, uh, Michael Bean plays the leader of the Magnificent Seven. And one of his. Uh, story acts is that he's hunting for the person who murdered his wife and child and ed lauder plays his father-in-law who's also hunting the people that murdered well it would have been his daughter and granddaughter right okay so the three connections to magnificent seven uh three different ways through ed lauder right and ed lauder you know we talked a lot about him and you just gotta say you. You may not recognize his name, but you you recognize him because this man has been in everything.
1: Sure, I mean he's gonna he's gonna appear in so many of the movies we cover.
0: Yeah, tons and tons of things, um, TV and and movies. Yep. Uh, so I guess that's gonna wrap up this episode. Yep. Um, we probably won't be back next week because of Christmas, but right. we'll be back after that that's right so we thank you for uh, tuning in and we hope to have you back next time
1: absolutely happy holidays everyone Merry Christmas as well
0: Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and whatever holidays you celebrate
1: oh yeah Happy New Year that's right well pretty Happy New Year I guess depending on when you're listening to this
0: yes